gift, and it's a significant gift. It's an important gift. Um, there are some certain dynamics that were surrounded around that gift, and so today we get to figure out what that's all about. But a gift was promised last time, and we have some verses up there um, that Jesus said to the disciples about not leaving Jerusalem, waiting for the gift that was promised, uh, which he talked about, and he gives a little bit of a hint to that gift, saying that John baptized with water, but in a few days would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he says, you'll receive power, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So he's saying uh, some things about this gift that's coming, and we talked a little bit last time about the Holy Spirit, and that's this gift that's coming, you know, and what is that all about? What does that entail? All he really told them was that it's going to be some kind of, like, new baptizing method, and we don't really know what that might look like, and some power is coming. And God just tells him, like, hold on, and just wait. Trust me, it'll be there. And so what they do is they just get together and they just start praying. That's the way they're waiting. You know, they're utilizing the time that they have very wisely. They don't really know what the next move to make is, and so they get together and they pray. And then the second big thing that we talked about from last time uh, was that they picked a 12th apostle. And so it says, sorry, Barsabbas, right? He didn't get picked, right? It was between Barsabbas and this guy, Matthias. And uh, what they did is they cast lots, which basically means they just kind of drew straws. And what they do is they pray about it, and they say, God, you know, whoever draws a straw here, we think that's your will and that's your plan. And so it didn't work out for Barsabbas, right? Which he probably didn't, like, uh, bail ship there. He probably stayed in. Um, but Matthias got picked as the apostle. And uh, that was kind of the way chapter 1 closed. So what happens is a gift was promised. Another apostle gets picked. And so now uh, we get to Acts chapter 2, which is pretty exciting. Because now this gift, this big thing that Jesus has been talking about, um, that he talked about, that he shared with at the end, um, Jesus had this dramatic, you know, exit in Acts chapter 1 where he was just standing there uh, with his disciples on a hill. And then all of a sudden, like, he just, like, floats in the air, you know, away from them into the clouds. And then these two guys in white just end up standing next to the disciples. So it's just like this crazy scene with this promise. Um, and then they go into the upper room, probably the upper room where they had their last Passover dinner. And they're praying together. Saying, God, you promised us some gift. Something's coming next. There's got to be another chapter. You know, what is it? And in that meantime, they picked the 12th apostle. And one of the bonus questions, I think, inside of your bulletin there is why did the apostles pick another to replace Judas, right? Because Judas was the guy that they were replacing. So that's a bonus question. And I know that would get some people's attention. All right. So we're in Acts chapter 2. And the title of this one is Empowered, you can go back for a minute, Empowered by the Spirit, Led by the Spirit. So that's kind of, if you're taking notes, that's the one you want to write down. That title is significant, it's important, uh, because now this Holy Spirit, this gift, comes on the scene, and we get to see what happens when, what, when a movement of God is empowered by the Spirit, and it's led by the Spirit. Some significant things happen take place, radical things happen and take place, and so it's exciting. All right, and so what I'm going to do is we're going to do a little bit of reading today, okay? So you can get uh, your Bible reading in for today. We're going to try and cover all of chapter 2, 
That's 47 verses, so I'm just going to prepare you now from the outset that, yes, we're going to have to read. And so if uh, you suffer from ADD for a little while, just try your best to try and focus, and uh, we'll see how it goes. But what I'm doing is I'm dividing up into four parts, and I think it's best uh, and most helpful to do it this way. So the four parts I would divide chapter two into is the arrival, okay, and we'll talk about the arrival of what, arrival of who. I kind of already gave you a prelude to that. Uh, the explanation, okay, the reaction, and the model. So we got four parts, the arrival, the explanation, the reaction, and the model. And the first thing that we'll look at, part one, is we'll look at the arrival. So that's verses uh, 1 through 13, and it's going to be the arrival of the Holy Spirit. This gift comes on the scene now. Uh, the gift that Jesus has promised now shows up. And it's kind of interesting. How do you think a gift of Jesus that he promised might show up on? How do you think that would happen? How would it actually appear? How would it show up on the scene? God promised you something, and he said, hey, I got a big gift for you. It's coming, and it's going to happen. You know, what, how do you think that might look? How dramatic do you think it could get? Um, and this is a pretty big gift. So there might be some big dramatics involved. So we'll take a look. So if we go, see, verse 1, I think it's page 771, I think, in those blue Bibles there. Um, and if you have your own Bible, right, we're in Acts uh, chapter 2, so we'll take a look here. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And I'll just freeze right there for a minute. Um, I know I lost some people in verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And so Pentecost, a Bible word, a church word. Um, let me just give you a little bit of brief calendar talk for a minute. Not going to get real heavy and real deep involved, but just some calendar talk because um, it's actually kind of exciting, believe it or not. Maybe I can convince you of that, and it is significant. So it says, when the day of Pentecost came. So if we go back and just rewind just a little bit, we have <clears throat> Good Friday, right? Good Friday. That is when Jesus was crucified, right? On Good Friday, and kind of a bizarre name. Uh, not so good for him, but good for us. So Good Friday, he's crucified. Passover, right, is what's coming that weekend, right? What they wanted to do is they wanted to crucify Jesus, hurry up and get through the execution and the trial so they could now celebrate their Passover, which is kind of a goofy setup, but nonetheless, that's what was going on. They wanted to hurry up and be religious, hurry up and kill a guy, and then get religious. So you have Good Friday, and then you have Passover, and what happens is um, Easter, right, is that weekend when he rose. And then what you have is you have this thing called Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, and that's usually like 50 days after Passover. So it's about 50 days uh, since Passover, since Jesus had that last supper, the last Passover meal in the upper room. So we're 50 days from that. And so the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, um, Pentecost is another name for the Feast of Weeks. And so what is that all about? 
And I'm not going to get into too heavy of a detail about it. But just really quick, Feast of Weeks slash Pentecost, a celebration of their harvest, free will offerings, and a day of sacrifice. And I have some, if you're taking some notes, uh, you can take a look and see what it's about, Exodus 34, Deuteronomy 16, Leviticus 23. So if, if you're uh, a little Bible scholar and you want to go back and check and look and see what that's all about and get more into that, that's usually like when I'm listening, I tune into because I want to go back later in the week and see if the guy is lying to me up there. Uh, and then if he's not, what is that all about? So go back and check that out. Um, as far as a good description, God's description of what he wanted and what it entailed. <coughs> Um, the best way I could try and describe it, I was trying to think about it this week, how to describe like the Feast of Weeks, um, Pentecost, to something that relates to 2010. But here's the way I was thinking about it. Um, because it was a celebration of harvest, and they kind of give like their free will offerings, that's more like um, they kind of give like their first fruits, the best things that they got. Um, you know, it was kind of a different time period, right? So in their time period, they would do all their farming, they would plant their wheat, They'd do everything, and then come harvest time, you know, they would celebrate all that. Hard to relate to now because we can go to Stop and Shop or Big Y or whatever and get whatever we want whenever we want. But by their calendar, right, at the end of all that planting, gardening, farming, all that, they would celebrate, try and give God the best, actually have some sacrifices. So the best way I could relate it was like Thanksgiving, right? Thanksgiving's coming up. And it would be like a Thanksgiving where, right, and this is kind of a stretch, but this is the best that I could come up with. So it would be Thanksgiving, where maybe the pilgrims or Puritans were there, okay? And the founders of our country, the people that signed Declaration of Independence, that came together, that came up with the idea of this great nation, right, and God. So the founders and God were like the ones at the first Thanksgiving feast where they gave this gift of America and they served and did all the dishes and did like everything. I mean, that was the best example I could really come up with. I mean, that's kind of a radical shift, but it was like a thing where, you know, people would normally get together and celebrate and give God their best. But now this gift that's coming on Pentecost, that's coming from God, he switched the tables. He switched the tables where now he was giving this gift. And he was really blessing them. And so it must have been kind of unique in their mindset if they're used to getting together, celebrating this harvest, giving offerings, giving sacrifices, and then God happens to choose that very day to really give his gift and to really bless them. And so it's kind of an interesting twist, and um, God knows what he's doing with the calendar. It's pretty interesting. So maybe that makes sense. Maybe it doesn't. Um, maybe you can write it down and ask me about it after. Um, but 50 days after Passover, that's where we are, Pentecost. Uh, some other things about it is that uh, it's believed to be a celebration of when the Ten Commandments were given. Um, the term Pentecostal, it originated uh, with this day because of the events. And, right, so here's where the bulletin, here's where it comes in when we said hi to everybody, okay, and you ask them about their birthday because uh, this is known and usually regarded as the church birthday, right? Happy birthday to the church, right? This day at Pentecost and the Holy Spirit came and uh, filled this room and these crazy things took place. 
they say it's the birth of the church. So happy birthday, church, right? Happy birthday to the church. And so when is the birthday? I don't know. There's a lot of different calendars. Uh, people use a lot of different dating methods. But basically, between May 10th and June 13th, right? Springtime birthdays of the church. Happy birthday. We're looking at the first birthday of the church. And so it's pretty exciting. It's pretty neat. Um, and God does it on Pentecost. So, a little bit of calendar, a little bit of background stuff. Um, but if we look at the rest of it, we kind of close up the passage, verses 1 through 4. It says that they're together, as Pentecost, and then suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were, which that's pretty radical. Can't imagine if that were to happen right now, what we would actually do. I don't know. Then they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And so I was trying to just think, I try and get a mental picture when I read things. And so I was like, how do you come up with a picture of this? They're in a room, violent wind is blowing, tongues of fire is going down, and then they're talking in other languages. And, you know, other tongues, other languages. And so... You know, I was just Googling some pictures, and I was like, man, that's probably the best thing I could come up with right there. I mean, you see the pictures on there. Uh, you see sort of like tongues of fire coming down on people. And, you know, over on the left-hand side, it's sort of uh, more of a traditional. I don't know if they're all standing there with robes and stuff on. Um, but pretty interesting, right? I mean, just try and place yourself in that scenario. That's a radical, radical situation. Um, so pretty amazing. So the gift shows up. He does it in a dramatic way. The Holy Spirit comes, and when he comes, there's a violent wind. There's tongues of fire. And people are speaking in other languages, in other tongues. And so if we skip down, let's go down to uh, verse 5. It says, Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound a crowd came together in bewilderment. So they heard the stuff going on. They heard the wind, heard all this commotion and this chaos. So it draws a crowd. Uh, it says, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, parts of Egypt, uh, skip down to verse 11, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they had too much wine, they were drunk, right? So, kind of a crazy scene. So this thing with the fire and the tongues, and they're together, and what happens is you just have people talking languages they do not know, and talking languages of people around. And what are they saying when they're talking? They're just declaring the wonders and miracles of God. Just what a scenario. I wish, like, back to the future, man, I wish I had the DeLorean and I could punch in this date and go back. That is one date I would want to see. There's a couple others, but that's definitely one I want to see. I want to be in that room with the wind, the tongues of fire, everybody else coming in. I mean, what would you be thinking? If all of a sudden, you know, we're here in this room and people all of a sudden start talking Portuguese and Swahili and just all this stuff and it draws people in from off the street. And not only are we talking in their language, we're talking about God in their language and the amazement of God. And so just 
What a scene. Amazing. Um, and so now we go to part two, right? Because now these people are in here, and they're looking for an explanation. They're like, what is this all about? Why is this happening? What is going on? I mean, it's just a natural reaction. If those people were to come in off the street and hear us, and we were in this room, and we were going through that, of course, hey, what is the deal? What's going on? And, of course, you get the clowns that are, man, they are just drinking. It's 10 in the morning, and they are just, they're caked already. So the explanation, what is this all about? And so what we do is we count on Peter for the explanation. Peter has come a long way. Um, you know, the book of Acts is really just a story about Peter and Paul. And Peter has come a long way. since his denial of Jesus, and uh, he's had some radical changes. And you see how well he knows his Bible and how well he knows the Word. And he's able to translate the things that happen in life, which may just seem like coincidences, and tie them exactly into God's plan. Just becomes a blessed man who can just interpret what God has already said hundreds of years ago in different books of the Bible. So explanation. Let's take a look at the reason. So it says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. So he's there with the other eleven, the apostles, and addresses the crowd. He says, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk. As you suppose, it's only nine in the morning. He says, No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So this is what I'm talking about when Peter starting to understand the Bible and tie everything together, right, from the prophet Joel, written hundreds of years before. And from Joel, here's what he's quoting. Maybe he was reading it. I don't know. I guess maybe he could have been reading it, but I kind of go with the assumption that he was quoting it. He says, in the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. So you can kind of tell right there if you're an old young man or an old or an old man, right? Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And so he quotes from Joel here, and he's saying that, listen, God told us about this a long time ago through this guy, Joel, that this was going to happen. We should have been sort of in expectation of this. And maybe if we thought about it for a little while, when Jesus was talking about this gift and talking about baptizing, uh, not with water anymore, but with the power of the Holy Spirit, maybe that whole thing with Joel had something to do with this. And so now he's tying it together for everybody. Um, and then he goes in uh, to the aspects of what the Spirit will actually do. Sons and daughters will prophesy, right? They will talk about things of God and what will happen, and God will speak through them. Um, you will see visions. You'll have dreams. They will prophesy and show wonders about God and some things about end times, about blood and fire and smoke and sun turn to darkness. But all these things have to take place before God comes back. Right? And that's what it says right there at the end of there. And the key verse at the end is saying, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so Peter continues. He says, men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. 
this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose. Right? This was uh, God's purpose for Jesus to be handed over. So this was set forth by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So now Peter's like giving them an indictment. He says, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And David said about him, so now Peter's bouncing from Joel, right now he's going to Psalms. He's just coming together and just bringing the Bible and the Word together and he's making sense of the whole situation based on what God had already said hundreds of years before. He said, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave. Nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with, your, with joy in your presence. And you can see like probably a little subscript in your Bible, right? A. After all these little things where Peter's quoting, you see these little subscripts in your Bible, and then at the bottom of the page or in the margin, it gives you references you know, back to where it's coming from. And that's coming from Psalms. And Peter's saying, hey, it says that, you know, David was talking about this, uh, saying that David... You know, because you will not abandon me to the grave, you won't let your Holy One see decay. You've made known to me the passive life. He's saying these things, and Peter says in verse 29, he says, brothers, listen, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. This thing wasn't about David, even though he wrote it. And he probably didn't even know when he was writing it what this was all about. Sometimes that's the way God works. And so he says, brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet. And he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Saying what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, right? And here's where we are and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And so Peter's like piecing this whole thing together now, saying that before David talked about how he would have this Christ, somebody in the line of David, somebody coming from him, uh, he would die, he would not be abandoned to the grave, and he would rise again. And what happens when he rises again and he leaves us, his gift of the Holy Spirit will come and be with us. And so Peter's just piecing together the whole situation now. And at the same time, layering in a little indictment to everybody to kind of say, hey, this is what you did. This is what you took part in. You were part of that mob that was saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. But this was all part of the plan. This was all part of the plan. And it doesn't stop there. And says... uh, In verse 36, therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And so say that's you, and you put yourself there, and you're in that crowd. And now the light bulb goes off. And in life, occasionally you have those aha moments, right? I'm a math teacher, and at school, I love the aha moments. Like those are just priceless. They don't happen a lot. And those 15, 16, 17-year-old brains, they are everywhere bouncing off the walls. 
And so when you can drive home and they connect the concept and they look at you and you can actually see their thinking and they say, oh, Mr. Murphy, that is what we're talking about. And that's sort of like the aha moment for these people here now. Be like, wow, this was part of the plan. It was written way back when. David told us about this Christ or something that was going to happen from his lineage. He wasn't going to be abandoned to the grave. He was going to rise again. The Holy Spirit was going to come. We were actually going to crucify him. And we were going to say, as a mob, let's crucify him. So now if you put your place, put yourself in the place of these people, your reaction might be, geez, what do I do now? I feel awful about this. If that aha moment goes off. Right? And so what we have next is we have the reaction. Right? Because you'll get a reaction from this. Because if you put yourself in that position, you've got to figure, geez, what's my next move? What do I do now? What do I do, Peter? You piece this whole thing together for me. You didn't even see it. It all developed before my eyes. I've been to all these synagogues, and we've gone through the Bible, and we've read this. Had no clue. Had no clue. And so what happens, we pick it up in verse 37, right, the reaction. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, right? There's cut to the heart. And that's why I like that picture. Like that guy, just, it just seems like he's cut to the heart. He's just like, something happened. Something's going on. And he's just at the place where, man. I got to react, and I think this is from God, and I got to do it now, and got to hit my knees. So I like that picture. So he says, when, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what do we do? What does Peter say? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's how you get it. That's how you receive the Holy Spirit is by repenting and asking for forgiveness. And verse 39 says, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord, our God, will call. So this promise is for everybody, right? And Joel said it's for everybody. And it says, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message, right? Not everybody did. Not everybody did. It says, those who accepted his message uh, were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 added that day. Tell you what, we started off with the title, right? Empowered by the Spirit, led by the Spirit. Things happen. And dramatics happen. And God, who's able to do all things, he can do some amazing things. So 3,000 added to that day. And so it brings us now into what we're calling part four, the last part here, the model. And so we went through, went through the first one, right? What was the, what was the first part? Let's get a little interactive here. What was the first part? The arrival, right? We got through the arrival. The Holy Spirit came on the scene. Second part, the explanation, right? Because the, the Holy Spirit came on the scene. It was like, it was very confusing. It was very chaotic. And, and they didn't really quite know what was going on. And so now, you know, uh, Peter comes in and he kind of explains this whole thing. And then the third part, the one we just did, right, the reaction, right? Because as Peter explained it, he also indicted them, right, and he set the record straight and let them know what was really going on. And so what happened was is it created a reaction from the people of what do I do now? And so what happens from there is now we can start to see if 3,000 people are getting added, there's a little bit of what we call a movement going on right now. And, like, some people are gathering, and some, this thing's, like, getting some traction now. 
And so what do you do? I mean, what do you do? They didn't have, like, the church handbook. They can't go pick up the library. They can't go to Amazon.com and go to, like, get the newest church plan book. Like, they can't do that stuff. So what do they do next? Um, and so what they do is they look to God. They look to God. And so the model, we call it the model because this is really what we believe at Calvary Chapel, the model of what God gave for a church. And so since some people are joining this, some traction is going, we're looking at a model. What was God's idea of church? How did it start? What did he want? What was his idea about it? How did he want us to go about it? What were the important essential items? Like at the end of the day, is it about like the music? Is it about how you dress? Is it about the way you market yourself? Is it, you know, how friendly you are? All somewhat important factors. What's really the core essentials? What's the core essentials? So we're going to take a look. So verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles, right? And if you're taking notes, these are definitely ones that you want to write down as far as the model go. To the apostles' teaching, that's one, right? To the fellowship, that's two. To the breaking of bread, that's three. And to prayer, right? So you got four core essentials there. And I don't know if, uh, just because it's listed sequentially like that, that's also a priority of importance. Maybe, don't know. But it says the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, right, and to prayer. The teaching, talking about God's word, expanding upon it. The fellowship, being together with each other, getting to know each other, building those relationships, breaking bread, right, sharing meals together, having communion together, uh, celebrating and not forgetting what God has done, and absolutely to prayer. Cornerstone, cornerstone. So those four things. And it says, verse 43, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers, here's the part that I really like, and that, like I'm also a basketball coach, and I've been doing that for a long time since college, and one thing that I just love about that, I just love like the team aspect just seeing a team work together and sort of deny themselves sometimes uh, to accomplish a common goal. We can get, you know, on a basketball court, five people or ten kids on the team to sort of submit their own wills, whether they want to shoot a lot, um, they want to pass it all the time, they're just concerned about their playing time, whatever it is, people have to submit and kind of play in their role and do it for the sake of a team. That, that's exciting to me. That's really exciting to me. But what's even more exciting is when you see God transform hearts and bring them together and unite them for his sake. Uh, that, that, I don't, that's just no better. I mean, that's, that's a maximizer, what I call that. Like, I'm like a maximizer person. I like to see that stuff. And so you see in verse 44, that's where I see it. It says all the believers were together and they had everything in common, right? Unity, unity, maximizing. Selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And that's the early church, man. They got together. They taught. They fellowship. Broke bread. They prayed. 
they got together with each other. They had meals with each other, built relationships, um, and God just took over. God just took over. Um, and so that's exciting. And they were just come on, they were just one in spirit, one in heart, one in purpose. And then uh, Paul even talks about that more in Philippians. These guys were joined together. Uh, they had their mission. They knew what it was. They really left no room for themselves and selfish ambitions. And what could they accomplish? What could they look like? Wasn't even on their radar. In fact, they just were trying to get rid of stuff and just bless people. And that is exciting. So, at the very end of all this, the reaction. How do we react to this? And what about me today and the rest of this week? Right? How do you approach this in 2010? Is there anything there for me? Um, what might be God trying to tell me or show me or prepare me? So first thing is, first things first. This one has to be taken care of. There's no way around it. It's got to be taken care of. Take care of verse 38 through 39. This is when Peter answered them. When they said, what do we do? What's the next step? Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, your children, and all who are far off. Right? We're never going to enter in and experience the power of the Holy Spirit. You will not, and that's a guarantee. You won't experience and have the Holy Spirit in your life unless you repent and you're baptized. Meaning, right, you just acknowledge that God and Jesus is Lord, um, that you have sin in your life, and that he took care of that on the cross. And basically, you just make a stand and you say, okay. I'm going to live my life out in this thing. I don't even really know what all that means or what even what my next step is. But I'm going to commit to that. I'm going to commit to that. And you'll never see the power of the Holy Spirit and what he can do and how he can change lives and literally change you from the inside out. You never experience that. This is not behavior change. You can certainly change behaviors. right? You can do that. Uh, you can try and change mindsets. But to actually change the insight and root of you to where desires and thoughts and patterns, sometimes gone in a snap, not all the time, sometimes gone like that, but he can change that from the actual inside out. And it's a remarkable, incredible experience that would change your life. And so 38 through 39 has to be taken care of. If you want to experience the Holy Spirit and that gift that came, that same gift that came, listen, that gift is no different <laughs> than than it is now. That same thing that filled the room with the tongues of fire and all that, that same Holy Spirit is with us now. Same Holy Spirit is with us now. Um, the next part, know what God says. Peter stepped on the scene, and he made real-life experiences that are happening right then and there. He made that understandable through tying in God's Word, the Bible. He said, hey, this is the, what it's all about. This is how it ties in. And so, man, the thing I take away from that is I got to be in the Word. I got to be in the Bible. What is God saying, you know, right now about 2010? What things should be happening? What should I be on the lookout for? Uh, how should I be living my life? You know, it says in Psalm 119, how can I please God, you know, and by hiding that Word, you know, in my heart. And Psalm 119 is really just a whole big psalm as far as all the benefits about being in the Word and being in the Bible. 
And in Psalm 1, it says it'd be, it'd be like a tree planted by the streams of water. You'll just flourish, and you'll just grow, and you'll just develop. And so being in the Word, uh, it gives you God's perspective. And He doesn't have all the answers to everything in there, but boy, there is a whole lot. And you will know the heart of God. You will know the heart of God the more you know this. And that's why we put such an emphasis as far as knowing the whole Bible. Because uh, a great Christian author, you know, A.W. Tozer said, takes a whole Bible to make a whole Christian. Like, this whole thing is about context. And what is God all about? How does he feel about people? How does he interact with people this whole time? And so wouldn't you have loved to be? I personally, I would love to have been, and I don't even know if, we, if I could do it, but I would love to have been Peter to stand up and be like, here's the ball game, here's the situation, here's what's going on. And then from there, tie in the indictment, which is what they needed to hear, that cut them to a heart, and brought them to a place of repentance and to show them their need for God. It's not going to happen outside of the Holy Spirit. And it's definitely not going to happen if this book isn't a part of your life on a regular basis. It's just not going to happen. And so this last one here, say pray for the church with the big C. Um, Verses 42 through 47. So the church with the big C, um, I got that phrase from, I don't know, a a couple pastors. I forget who they were. But the church with the big C meaning, we're all in this thing together. There's a lot of denominations. Um, there's a lot of other churches. Um, but it's all about the church with the big C, where Christ is at the center. I mean, there are certain things that are not necessarily core essentials that people differ on, and, and that's okay. But you have to have the core ones down for sure. And as I look at this, and I think probably you as you look around, you might notice a whole lot more division um, and a whole lot more of what Christians are against than what they're for. And so I could definitely see, looking at that passage in the unity in verses 42 through 47, um, and just the sense of, let's put Christ at the center. Let's put his word at the center. Let's put prayer at the center. Ourselves will come in, you know, secondarily. Um, just that sense um, where he's just at the center, really, of everything. I think it's kind of a rare thing. Um, you know, it's the day and age of internet, TV, and how am I going to look, and uh, can I get myself in this platform, and it's about uh, notoriety, and, you know, all, all the things that it's just it's not all about. And so the church as a whole has made a lot of mistakes, too, a lot of mistakes. And so certainly if you have time, right, this week and throughout, you know, just pray for the church in general. You know, it's saying it's the bride of Christ. Like, Jesus died for it. It meant a lot for him. Um, and this is God's gift to us. And you know he's upset with some things. Um, but he certainly needs us to pray for it and pray for the people that are in charge and the leaders throughout the world in different faiths and uh, in different denominations. They certainly need our prayers and wisdom and guidance because there's so much pulling at them and tugging at them. Um, so today, this week, me... Certainly, repent. If God has been uh, tugging and pulling on your heart, acknowledge that. Don't run from it. Don't run from it. Because it's certainly going to be easier to say no once you said no a hundred times. You know, while it's still fresh and you're noticing it, acknowledge it. Uh, knowing what God says, try and make it a point this week to get in that word at least, at least maybe once a day for like 10 minutes if you can do it. If that's really far-fetched, just try a few days. But then not even get in it 
even, right, try and go the extra step and actually maybe try and put something into practice. Try and even put it into practice. That's when it really hits home. Because we're actually doing this stuff. It's not all about head knowledge. All right, that's just going to puff you up and put you in a bad place. Um, and then praying for the church of the big C. Church needs prayers. Um, I'm always praying for other pastors, other ministries. They need prayers, man. They need protection, um, guidance, wisdom. Uh, you know, pray for Calvary Chapel Naugatuck. Pray for the other churches in town, right? It's a church with the big C. It's a church with the big C. So uh, if you just join me in a, in a word of prayer, uh, we'll close up. So God, you know, one thing that sticks out to me is that this Holy Spirit is the same Holy Spirit that's in Acts chapter 2. And I know that in my life uh, and in this church, Lord, I want to see your Holy Spirit uh, be alive and work um, and do whatever you want to do. And uh, I don't want to get in the way of that. And so we just pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would take a greater place in our lives um, and that we could commit ourselves, you know, to reading your word, Lord, and actually, you know, memorizing it, Lord, and putting some of it into practice, God. Um, and we just uh, pray for, you know, other churches and other ministries, Lord, that you watch over them and help them to realize the important things, Lord, and not put a lot of wasted time and energy into things that maybe aren't so important, God. So we pray this week, Lord, that we be on the lookout for your Holy Spirit, um, that we'd be bold in your name, and that you'd help us uh, to surrender just a little bit more of our lives to you this week. And so we thank you for this time. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. And so, uh, again, I just want to thank you for coming. Uh, there's a ton of refreshments and stuff in the back. Like I said, on the table, we have uh, books and cards and stuff. You know, feel free to take whatever. Um, and thank you for coming. All right, have a safe ride home.